The Great Canadian Talk Show. There's only a couple of watts, but I brought the truth to everyone within three blocks of the west side of campus. No way! Yes way! And now, let's get right down to business with Marty Gold. Hi, welcome to the Great Canadian Talk Show Podcast. This is episode six of season three. I'm Marty Gold. I want to greet once again all the regular listeners and many new listeners that we've accrued over the course of the summer, in particular with our coverage of the provincial election. Those election uh, interviews, the interviews with the candidates, are going to continue to pile up uh, through the auspices of actionline.ca, which is the uh, home of the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast. And you can browse through, you'll see your why why people like you have joined people who you might not think are quite like you uh, about different uh, about what we do here, which is shine a light on topics that the mainstream media simply uh, doesn't want exposed, uh, doesn't think is worth putting the time into, or the narrative uh, would be upended by actually reporting the facts on the ground the way we do here. So you've heard uh, cases about um, about murders, about assaults. You've heard stories about parents fighting back uh, in East St. Paul. You've heard stories about uh, the biz associations in Transcona and on Provence fighting back against the city of Winnipeg while the biz that deals with Marion, uh, the Marion and Goulet in St. Boniface, another neighbor, getting evidently steamrolled by the uh, bike lane, uh, by the anti-car bike lane lobbyists that dominate the thinking at, uh, at the, uh, among the urban visionaries, so-called urban visionaries, uh, uh, down at City Hall. So we've covered City Hall issues, we've covered uh, provincial issues, election issues, occasionally federal issues as well. Uh, sometimes sports. I got a compliment for our interview with Peter Young from many months ago about the impact of Bobby Hull, the Golden Jet, on Winnipeg and got a wonderful um, compliment for that interview. And I hope to have Peter Young back here in the fall season as things continue moving forward with the great Canadian talk show. Um, your support is integral. This is independent. I've been very fortunate to be able to focus almost entirely uh, on this podcast through the election campaign. There's been some family things that that uh, continue to come up, uh, unfortunately, and uh, uh, I appreciate that sometimes you bear with it as I help fam- fa- families, f- uh, family members, friends of family members. You know, somebody passed away. You've got to deal with a lot of things in terms of of their possess, you know, people's possessions and and arrangements and whatever, and it's a part of life that I've sort of uh, entered into at this stage of life, and I appreciate that my audience indulges that sometimes the the schedule is a little wonky because I have to spend a few hours uh, doing things within the community um, of that nature as well as a few other community things. But you get the idea. I'm doing my best. I'm traveling the province, doing uh, uh, events with CWE as well. Gladstone, Minnedosa in the past, Amaranth coming up before the end of the month, before the election, and where's that other one? Can't remember. Richer, I think. Is it Richer? Mm, got two shows uh, at the end of the month uh, where, again, I'll be out in rural Manitoba and be able to gauge the pulse of the community um, as it pertains to uh, to uh, you know the election and also local issues. And sometimes these local issues uh, reflect back for those of us in the city of Winnipeg. In any event, today's... Uh, episode uh, is going to be dedicated to a very uh, specific topic that has become clearly uh, an election issue here in Manitoba. The conservatives have been playing a a particular kind of chess with the NDP, and I don't know if the NDP are playing checkers or, or, or what's going on, but tactically, 
the incumbent conservatives have taken away cards from the NDP and the cards that they have played, uh, that they've neutralized, I guess, uh, it's taken away any thunder that Wab Canoe's campaign could have tried to muster. For instance, uh, the tax, the various tax cuts, it's very hard to argue against people getting checks uh, in the mail for, uh, and from government, especially at this time. And this isn't like measly, peasly, 150 or $200 checks. These were checks in the thousands of dollars in terms of the property tax rebates, uh, as well as the affordability checks. Um, and so as the, the government continues to give relief to a population that feels that they're overtaxed, it makes it very difficult for the NDP to mount some sort of an ar- argument. As the government... Uh, in its dying days, uh, ending days, uh, announced the hiring of hundreds of nurses from the Philippines, and people try to make a big deal about what the the cost was for the consulting company, but it worked out, I think it works out to $10,000 a head in terms of each hire. Um, Well, how much would their education in Manitoba, if these nurses have been educated here, how much would that that have cost the taxpayer? So paying a head under 10 grand, it'll end up being less if they hire another 100. It'll get reduced by a third. You get the idea. The... PC's already making announcements about staffing, etc. The NDP trying to come from behind and then top that with Wabkanu saying he's going to reopen emergency rooms, open new emergency rooms. And if you take a look online, take a look on Reddit, you'll see that the very ardent, strident NDP supporters, they're finding these kinds of statements are indefensible, that they that can't be done. There isn't the staff. There's no proof the NDP could figure out how to, how to um, deliver an HR department that could accommodate this kind of this kind of request, that where's the money going to come from? Even the NDPers aren't buying it. The resurrection of Gary Dewar, as I said online, what's next? They're going to have a seance to see what Howard Pauly has to say. And keep in mind, you know, with regards to the Lloyd Oxworthy uh, endorsement, the last person he endorsed uh, by memory was a guy named, oh yeah, Glenn Murray. <laughs> that went great. So the NDP without without being able to make any real inroads as the Tories on pocketbook issues, on common sense issues, they've outflanked, because common sense, you're not going to build all these ERs and reopen them. Uh, they've outflanked the NDP on, on a lot of these ballot, you know, ballot box uh, issues. But one has come up, and that's parental rights. It's come up during the course of the campaign, and this is, uh, although certain factions who have um, particular points of view on these things, would say this American-style politics. Well, no, this is spreading throughout the Western world because some of the principles that are involved are foreign to the Western world. They would involve a substantial change of the way things have been done in the Judeo-Christian traditions uh, and in the democracies that have evolved, the par- parliament interpretations of laws, parliamentary processes, etc. So, no, this isn't America being imported in. It's a natural evolution. It's been brought forward because of concerns at grassroots. But ultimately, it pitches community against community. And it's pitching some kinds of parents against other kinds of parents. And so on the other side of this break, uh, I'm going to delve into it. I'm going to talk about, and, I, and I'm doing it from not personal like it hurt me personally, but I got involved in a discussion online this week with someone that uh, that I know and um, who has a point of view because uh, I asked, you know, can you explain this argument against parental rights? I'm not, I'm not getting what that, what this argument is. And they gave me an explanation. And it's not just the explanation. 
It's not just my own feeling about the explanation. It's how the community reacted to that explanation. And when you start exploring that, so there's not only going to be this conversation went on online, uh, and as a reflection of what's going on in, around Winnipeg uh, right now, and, and it, to some extent around the entire province, around Manitoba, and this discussion about what's going on in schools, what's going on with kids, what's going on with medical science, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm also going to be talking about what does this really mean? What is, what is really the issue at hand? which isn't just these nebulous concept of rights, rights to what? And I'm going to take a look at some of the material that is so contentious and that is really at the root of this argument about what kids can or can't read or see or be taught and what parents should or shouldn't know. Back on the other side of the break, a little conversation that evolved between me and uh, another Winnipegger that you're going to want to listen to. Because of you, the Great Canadian Talk Show has made headlines for over 15 years and forced important issues to be acknowledged and dealt with. The problem here is that they want everything their own way in every situation. It's unpalatable to the general public, but they're frozen out by the process. There are no subsidies for paying the bills for keeping the government honest. They just see money. Of course, it's your tax dollars, but it's being spent on their pet projects. We're on your side. A lot of these people in special interest groups, they don't bear any relationship to your life out there. They don't have any handle on what your reality is in your neighborhood. Support old-fashioned investigative reporting that matters. The best source of information is not the city councillor. It is this program and you listeners. Support TGCTS today. The Great Canadian Talk Show is brought to you by The Hive Hair Company. From classic to funky, the styles of your life are at The Hive in the heart of the Osborne Village at 175 Osborne. Call 452-4483 or online thehivehaircompany.com. Back from the break uh, and uh, by all means, patronize our sponsors whenever you can and make sure to share these podcasts so that we can continue to grow the audience and get information, important information, opinion analysis to more and more people across Winnipeg. Also a reminder, through the remainder of the election period, you'll be able to read my commentaries, my weekly columns, and hear my 10-minute audio commentaries at winnipegtribune.ca. And there's an accumulation of all those presentations uh, here on actionline.ca. You can uh, take a look for it under, uh, I think it's under blog, Uh, but you'll find all this. I'm putting out a lot of content touching on a lot of topics. Now, this one today, uh, I said this is, you know, this this ball rolls from outside of Winnipeg and and has, has uh, come into Winnipeg and come into Manitoba and has, has grown more, more, uh, more quietly, perhaps, <clears throat> with the exception of some fights that were picked by the mainstream media, in particular in a couple of small communities. But in Winnipeg, it's not so much been an issue. Um, but people in Winnipeg, people in Manitoba, they see the bigger picture they see what is happening in uh, jurisdictions, municipalities, cities, towns, where these discussions, these arguments, these processes within the education uh, departments, within uh, education ministries, where they're more advanced, where they've moved further along. That's how you ended up with books like Anne Frank's Diary being pulled from uh, shelves in schools in Ontario. Yes, Anne Frank's Diary pulled, The Very Hungry Caterpillar pulled, Harry Potter pulled, The Hunger Games pulled. And as one commentator noted, schools are so safe, they not only keep secrets from parents, they protect children from literature that influence their parents' generation. 
how does the diary of a young girl by Anne Frank end up getting pulled from a school shelf in Canada? Not even the major Jewish community leadership council, the coordination of Jews in Winnipeg, uh, Jews in Winnipeg, Jews in Canada, done largely through the efforts of something called CJA, the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs. I've spoken of them previously on these podcasts going away back, in particular with regards to anti-Semitism at the University of Winnipeg Collegiate affecting Jewish basketball players after an incident at a high school game that remains unresolved. CJA had no... The many things I've talked about on this program, the Hanukkah candles being banned during COVID, by COVID restrictions, uh, the menorahs rather, and CJA just forever out to lunch. In this one, I can't say they're out to lunch because who would expect to make sure the diary of Anne Frank, you know, ends up, like stays where it belongs. We are shocked, they tweeted this morning. The diary of a young girl by Anne Frank was among the books removed by the Peel District School Board as part of their weeding library process. We call on the uh, school board, the Ontario Ministry of Education, to clarify its policies and re-examine the criteria by which books are to remain available to students to ensure that important historical and cultural books are not removed. That's based on the CBC story. I'll cut it down for you. No one asked us for our opinion, said a girl at Arendale School. I feel by taking books away without anyone's knowledge is considered censorship. There's a kid who's like grade 9 or 10. She could figure it out. They weeded out books based on the date. Just on all... Before 2008, out it goes. And the shelves were empty. And school trustees noticed. And believe me, knowing a thing or two or three about librarians, many of those librarians would have known exactly what they were doing. The kinds of books they were setting aside, all with an eye towards, oh, equity and inclusion. And this book isn't relevant. The book isn't relevant. It's outdated. Well, yeah, they want to conserve some, some shelf space, but sometimes books are a picture of knowledge up to a certain time. One father asking, who's the arbiter of what's the right material to go in the library and who's the arbiter of what's wrong? That's unclear. It's not clear to the teachers and it's not clear to me as a parent or a taxpayer. Now, before I get into the specifics of parental rights, here's the experience of a guy in Ontario when it comes to that concept. The parents have a right to know, and there are those in Manitoba that say, oh, it's already there. The Tories are inventing something, a big problem out of nothing. Here's what this guy did. He talked to parent council, his son's principal, his school board trustee, he contacted members of the provincial government. He still hasn't received a substantial response about what happened in the spring and how the process is intended to work, whereby books were stripped from school shelves. Whole as bolus. Without any regard to whether it's necessarily because the condition of the book is tattered or because of some other factor in the eyes of the librarians that were doing the chucking of the books. Again, he went through parent council, schools, principal, school board trustee, members of the province, nowhere. So when people say, oh, in Manitoba, they don't need parental rights, there's no issue because they can go here. We, people are not stupid. They see that in Ontario, this has been a failure. A failure. The system lets them down because their rights aren't enshrined in uh, legislation or regulation. In Toronto, the Peel District School Board wasn't available to talk to CBC because they're focusing on students and school families this week. Again, when people advocating on one side or the other say, well, the system will handle it. Well, the system clearly doesn't. They're busy this week. 
The board documents say that the resources that are weeded out are causing harm. Either because of the condition of the book, because of a torn binding, that causes harm. Or because they are not inclusive, culturally responsive, relevant, or accurate. For those reasons, the, the documents say the books can't be donated as they are not suitable for any learners. See the level of judgment being exercised by schools about what books kids will or won't be able to read and how difficult it is for parents. This is just, just uh, and I've been involved in the weeding of books off library shelves in my time. So I've seen how this works. I can understand it. But look what happens when parents have questions, when students have questions. Hmm. So this, I only mention this to illustrate that in the bigger picture, people look to other provinces and they see that when they're reassured in Manitoba, oh, you, this is all being made up and, and there's parent councils to go. Those are all political bodies that can stall and can swerve and can do whatever is convenient for them without necessarily doing what's right for the parent and by extension, the child. So I swing around knowing with this background that people know that there's something going on out there that just doesn't come up in Winnipeg very often yet. Okay? So one of them in Winnipeg I've known for a number of years who's been involved in various media endeavors and is now employed in private enterprise and with whom I've always had pleasant dealings. And because of that, um, you know, some people you chirp at online and Twitter, some people you just sort of kid at, and some people you're happy for them when they have a, you know, discover a good meal, discover a fun restaurant, have a, a, a good time at a club. There are people you get along with, even though you know that you're a lot different from them politically, because they've always been fair with you and you've always been fair with them. And so, in this case, here's an individual who reposted a link to a CBC story. Are you ready for a family talk about gender identity? How to handle, and it truncates, it cuts off, but this CBC story is about school policy, between school policies and political rhetoric. Many parents may soon find themselves talking to their children about a topic that could make, and then again, it's truncated. So you see, it's about, about what I've just talked about. This is becoming an issue. And it's going to be talked around about around tables, not just because of the beginning of the school year, but because in Manitoba, there's an election going on. And this individual retweets or posts this CBC story and then says, to quote a good friend and fellow mother of a trans child. So this person is the mother, identifies as the mother of a child who identifies as trans. And is quoting another mother in the same boat. It's a good friend. When you see a sign that says, quote, fighting for parental rights, it's actually a less cruel sounding way of saying fighting against human rights for certain people. And I read that two or three times, and without looking at the CBC article, I'm just trying to understand that. When you see a sign that says fighting for parental rights, it's a less cruel way, cruel sounding way of saying fighting against human rights for certain people. And I didn't understand what, what are these competing rights? I didn't get it. So because I have a, a pleasant relationship with this individual and always have, I thought, well, I'll be able to get some insight. And so I tweeted back, I'm not following that logic. What rights are being fought against? And a short while later, I got a response from her. The right to privacy. What rights are being fought against? The rights, the right to privacy. 
So I surmise that this means that children in school have a right to privacy because parental rights, as constructed as a campaign promised by the progressive conservatives, revolves around parents having a right to know about curriculum, their children's activities in school, things like that. So here's an argument that children in school have a right to keep to have their activities, not their secrets, but just their activities, their behaviors kept secret from parents. Now this alone got some reaction from other individuals, one of whom said, until a child is 18, their parents have a right to know what is going on in their lives. That's irrefutable. It should be law. And I can tell you that I, that was my understanding. You're responsible for a child under the age of 18. You're responsible for their health. You're responsible to at least be aware about what's going on with your kid, what's affecting their, their emotional health, their mental health, uh, what kind of hobbies they have, what they're doing online when they're glued to a phone, different from my day now, right? My parents have to worry about that. I was like, playing tennis or field hockey or, or, or football for you know, four or six hours on end. We were glad not to have any phones around. Different life, different generation. You would think parents would have more reason, more need to be informed, to be aware of what's going on in their kids' lives. And so that comment, which was polite, until a child is 18, their parents have a right to know what's going on in their lives. And I say it's, they have a right in terms of other people making sure they know because those parents have a legal obligation for those children. as well as the moral obligation, but I'm looking really at the legal obligation of parents towards their their children. And after a period of time and some reflection, this individual that originally said that children have a right to privacy in response to the idea that, no, the parents have a right to know. And the response was, I disagree. Giving birth to a person does not automatically mean you have the right to know every detail of their lives, thoughts, or relationships. Well, it certainly does up till some age, maybe not after they turn 18, but certainly if they're three or five or seven, having raised children through those ages in my own lifetime... I don't know how you're going to tell giving birth, especially. I mean, I've seen somebody who doesn't give birth. You're going to tell a mother that they don't have the right to know what's going on with their kids. Hmm. Here's the explanation for why. And it ties back to kids have a right to privacy. There are many parents. It's a former news person here. There are many parents who don't have access to their children because they will harm them. So here's the line of thinking from an individual who's been involved in public information processes and not like stuck away in a cave somewhere, who identifies as a trans mom because their child, which is a daughter, identifies as a trans kid 
that children, that schools do not have an obligation to clue in parents as a parental right about what's going on with their kids because she claims, and others like her would claim, there are many parents who don't have access to their children because they will harm them. Well, now let's parse that, shall we? How many parents don't have access to their children because of a criminal record or pending criminal charges? There's a few. Let's set that group in society aside. How many because they have a mental health diagnosis of some, um, and I'm not an expert, psychosis, some condition that they can't be in the same room as their own children? Set that small number aside. Now, how many people otherwise are prohibited by a court because don't have access means you're prohibited by a court uh, um, upon application for the police, I guess, in some cases, upon application for protection orders and others. How many parents in Manitoba do you think don't have access to their children because they will harm them? What is that number? What is that number in relation to all parents? Now, of that number, is there even one, and I'm not saying there aren't because I don't know, is there even one that is not allowed access to their children because they will harm them because the kid is is acting or behaving or living life as a gender other than the gender that they were born with and thusly identified by a doctor, all the other jargon. Who's is are there and if there are how many protection orders you know oh listen this kid is this kid is a well you know like fifteen years ago some emo kid and the parents have a one of the parents has rage and so there's a, an order a protection order issued or whatever how many so the presupposition here among the woke parents is that children that aren't theirs have to be protected from other parents because they might not wholly embrace, affirm, they may disapprove of what factors are going into their child beginning to question their gender and other factors around their identity. Here is the kind of response that Winnipeggers provided to this idea. There are many parents who don't have access to their children because they will harm them, and this is why kids, why kids have a right to privacy, so that schools help them keep secrets about embarking on a path where they would be facing radical surgery, heavy use of hormones and other drugs, obstructions in bone plate growth, all the other medical factors that go into not just what used to be cross-dressing, but into transitioning medically, not just socially. There's a number of parents, there's a tiny number of parents harming their gay or trans child, assuming they're beating their kids straight is itching straight. Straight, try it again. There is a tiny number of parents harming their gay or trans child, assuming they are beating their kids straight, is itching to assume because I'm a minority, I'm going to steal. Blanket policy is insane law. Remedies are police or CFS, not teachers. And that's the point. The remedy to this perceived potential for violence and harm of children, the teachers are now the gatekeepers. Another individual immediately posting, there are no trans children. So there's there's a lot of pushback on this. You believe another post, 
You believe teachers are benevolent, have only the students' best interests at heart. Teachers abusing their problem is a, uh, uh, their students is a problem that's on the rise. Don't believe me, I can source your own media organization for it. The person posting used to work for CBC. They posted a CBC story. Uh, and so people think they work for CBC, so they don't. Uh, but you get the idea. CBC story about data published uh, by the Canadian Centre for Child Protection about how many cases arise about allegations, sex abuse, or allegations of sex, sex abuse involving schools in Canada, which was about 550 over a course of about two years. And one of the problems is, by the way, when you read that story, there's no single database in Canada where the names of teachers who are risk to their students are kept. So people have a skepticism about teachers and this idea that some parents say we should be trusting all teachers with all children when the teachers are themselves, in some cases, not subject to certain checks and balances, and in other cases, absolutely, definitely, activists and activists of a certain kind. The other reactions to this idea that kids have a right to privacy were not so kind. Name-calling. And not uncommon in terms of the names that come up. This is hate speech. Now, here comes the argument against it. There's no trans children, though. That's the lie. Gender dysphoria is a mental illness. Treating it properly should not, cons- should not include transitioning until adulthood. Now, transitioning in the- until adulthood would generally have been, unless there was a medical condition requiring some, some child have radical surgery, generally you're not lopping off breasts, testicles, penises, or altering bodies in any way prior to the completion of puberty and prior to adulthood when an infor- informed consent can be made. That whole principle has been turned on its ear by the pro-trans movement. And this movement is largely fueled by a belief that kids should, that parental rights is a dog whistle. Parents have nothing to worry about. Leave it up to the teachers and the educators and the lawyers and the school boards. They're the professionals and the trustees when they aren't busy banning trustees who don't hold the same point of view as them. When they aren't busy harassing them as uh, as they do in uh, the Ottawa Carlton School Board over masks and supporting white supremacists public sees what's going on. They know it. They see it coming into Winnipeg. And the explanation for how this is a dog whistle, how parental rights is just a way of saying, I'm going to withhold the human rights. Children have not traditionally been viewed as having these kinds of human rights to privacy of their life, the details of their life from their parents prior to achieve the age of majority. It's completely revolutionary and doesn't adhere with the Public Schools Act because the Public Schools Act is, as I recall, quite clear, quite clear, that anything affecting the physical mental health of a child has to be reported not only to the school board but also to the parents. Now, what is it the parents are worried about? What is it that they are expressing concerns about? Let's take a look at some of the books because what is it about? Parents wanting to know what's going on in schools. We're going to take a look, after the break, I'm going to take a look at some of the books, some of the material, including material that's available in Manitoba schools to better explain why there are those parents who don't think that kids should be able to keep the secret or should be kept secret from them. What kind of material is being put in front of their children with what kind of language, what kind of instructions, what kind of direction, and what kind of illustrations? It's shocking. And it's on the other side of this break. 
here with the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast. Jamrock Security has effective and creative ways to help protect your business, your home, and your community. Jamrock gets the job done so you can rest easy. Go to jamrocksecurity.ca or call us at 204-880-1564. Do security. Do it smart. Jamrock Security. Great Canadian Talk Show podcast is brought to you by Midpoint Auto. Vehicle sales at wholesale pricing. 1.99% financing on new cars. 6.99% financing on great used vehicles. Cars, trucks, vans, SUVs. That's not all. Off-road vehicles, campers, snowmobiles, dirt bikes, even boats. If you're in the market for something with an engine, then that's the place you want to go. Midpointautomotive.ca. The phone number, 833-997-9930. Again, that's 833-997-9930. Midpoint Auto, bad credit approved, good credit rewarded. If you're a listener of the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast, let them know by giving them the promo code. T-A-L-K, the word talk. That's the promo code, and you're sure to get a great deal from Midpoint Automotive. Do you have a comment, story tip, or want to advertise or support the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast? Email tgcts1 at gmail.com. Join the Facebook group or follow us on Twitter at TGCTS. You have the power. Before I forget, by all means, subscribe to our Facebook group. Join the fun, the Great Canadian Talk Show Facebook group, and check out actionline.ca all through the categories, whether it's uh, City Hall, the provincial election, our, our archive from 2019, lots of great stories that we've covered in the past, including a very exclusive uh, and intensive investigation into used needles and the res- responsibility of the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority and other health officials. Uh, they loved handing out needles for free, but they didn't really care about the other part of so-called harm reduction, making sure those used needles, those dirty rigs, were picked up from the streets of Winnipeg. Uh, and just another example of how the healthcare system politicians failed Winnipeg, as did City City Hall, on that issue entirely. Kinds of issues that we specialize in, we aren't covering provincial elections, and uh, I'm told federal elections, if I can last another two years, uh, but uh, be that as it may, check out the website, actionline.ca. And if you have any questions or comments, want to be interviewed on this program, uh, then by all means, email me, martygoldlive at gmail.com. I think I've set out the explanation in the first part of this uh, podcast that people that see themselves as trans allies, right, that's are at the forefront of the concept of multiple genders and gender being fluid, etc., etc., and they, oh, their overarching ideal, and they're certainly a contingent of what would be looked at as white middle-class mothers, uh, and, and, and certain, you know, this seems to cut one way across the political classes. There's a certain demographic that's a very loud uh, in this, uh, as are people that are more traditionally associated with LGBTQ communities and and people that are drag queens and these other these other kinds of personalities, but their overarching issue is that they think that they're saving children from their parents preemptively because they sense that the kinds of things that they approve of and are promoting in that children should also be accepting of and approve of will meet resistance. 
Now, usually they just try to describe the resistance as white supremacy and patriarchy, and then Abi Khan shows up being the the uh, lead uh, performer for the progressive conservatives in their ads on this issue of, of parental rights, and well, okay, here goes at least one of those arguments out the window, and, and they're trying desperately not to pick a fight with religious communities, especially the Muslims, and might I add the Sikhs, who aren't exactly down with this idea that kids in grade four, five, six, seven should have secrets and suddenly decide that they're going to be a completely different sex, a completely different gender, and maybe they're going to be a furry while they're at it and want to be treated like a cat. And this being driven largely by the political left, almost entirely by the political left, tries to cast aspersions on those who are seen as being on the political right. And often they aren't because they're very into charity and things like that. Um, but they try to cast aspersions on them, but they have to be careful because you can't really criticize certain kinds of religions in Canada at this stage of the game. And the motto that's emerged on the side of advocating for parental rights has become let kids be kids that a lot of this material is sexualizing children at too young of an age is putting concepts in front of them that and remember the teachers have the kids till like what time do they teach till nowadays at 3 30 4 o'clock they teach till 4 o'clock the parents the parents the beleaguered, beleaguered parents trying to make ends meet trying to deal with inflation and pressures and rising rent, they, in the remaining time they have to deal with their kids, have to then manage the ramifications of kids reading books and say, listen, your, your parent, you see your kid on TV sees, uh, uh, you know, some goofy act that maybe is intended for a slightly older, you know, audience. And they see, you know, you got a three-year-old running around shaking their butt around. And it's like, yeah, and everybody's laughing. But after a while, it's like, stop shaking your butt. Well, this goes far beyond just butt shaking. Now, people know people. And people compile information. And so there's lists of books now. And whether they're in the Winnipeg Public Library, whether they're in other libraries, uh, they're picture books, they're uh, uh, graphic novels, and you know, what kind of books, what the topics generally are about, right? Some are have F-bombs, gay sex. One book advocates that sexting is okay. Grandpa and Pops are gay. I'm sure a lot of people would figure, well, oh, you may not want to, you may want to choose when your kid is exposed to these concepts if they're one of their grandparents being gay as opposed to the school trying to clue them in that this is a possibility at the age of five or six. Books with gender fluid and trans teens, which are presented as role models to some extent. Because, as I'm told, none of these teens, evidently in these books, none of them are ever like bad kids. They're always in the... They're nice kids, they're polite, you know, like they, they go through life, but... There's never a problem that emanates from themselves or their own behavior. You get the idea. And I understand why. You want to, don't want people to be picked on because they're different. I get the, 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 the sort of upfront sensibility that maybe people would be find acceptable. And there's graphic novels, I said, that explore sexuality, uh, e-books, 
There's some adult fiction uh, in the Winnipeg Library that touches on topics that are a little more disturbing. So the issue is sometimes the con is the content. Sometimes some people might think none of this. It's all awful. And I come from a family where I, had, where I had not one but two cousins that were pioneers in the realm of sex education in schools in Manitoba and Ontario. Bizarrely enough, but these cousins were very alike. They both became doctors. This is just a fluky thing. I'm like five, like in grade four and five and six. I got two cousins that are like testifying in court and being threatened with taking a It's a long time ago. Now it's accepted. You have to have some sort of sex ed in school at some grade level. Now, whether you need books like Amazing Grace between the ages of three and six, this becomes a question. Gender Queer is a, ter- is a book title that comes up frequently in these disputes. It's perfectly normal for ages 10 and up is another. Let's Talk About It by somebody named Erica Moan. Now, there's a book called Mighty Red Riding Hood, a fairy... No, sorry, I thought it said fairy. Mighty Red Riding Hood, a fairly queer tale. Ages four to eight. A, 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 a children's fable that's told from a queer lens to a, for four-year-olds. Some parents might say, no, I'm the judge of whether my four-year-old should be exposed to that. Not a teacher and not a librarian. Sex is a funny word. Corey Silverberg is a very popular author in, the, uh, in this uh, genre. There are books describing pride puppy, pride colors that are for preschoolers. Now, some will say that aren't down with this program. Well, this is indoctrination. You're trying to create acceptance among children for things that are far outside the realm of our community, of our culture, of how we raise our kids, of the pace at which we want kids to be exposed to things. And on the other side, you have, there are many parents that aren't allowed to see their kids because they hurt them. And so kids have a right to privacy, to be exposed to this kind of material in, and that, in secret, and that parents want to know, wanting to know what kind of material is in the schools. This is the kind of material they're asking. You know sex, what makes a baby. They might have had titles like this when I was a kid. I'm trying to remember where, what ours was. was the how and why books probably is how we learned. But when I was a kid, they let kids be kids. And when you look, as I have, through examples of what's in these books, for instance, I just mentioned it's perfectly normal. And there's drawings of lifelike looking teens with body parts showing, with pubic hair showing, with one, and I, I can't tell if these are, and I'm just saying, I don't know if these are both girls, or if one's a girl and one's a guy, I can't quite tell, but a black teen is smiling and looking down kindly on a white teen that they've discreetly mounted in a bed. It's like it's like a scene. It's it's perfectly normal. Um, I don't know how old these kids are that are being portrayed, but I'll tell you this: if it's like thirteen or fourteen, no, that's not normal. The next page in this booklet of examples is even worse where it shows a kid with a mirror bent over naked staring at their backside and this has a bigger picture showing the kid doing it with an arrows and the various body parts 
opening to this and opening to that. I don't know that I've ever heard of a parent, let alone a doctor. Maybe a teacher thinks this is a good thing for a kid to think up. Maybe you think this is a good way to show a kid what things look like without the kid taking their own mirror and spreading their own ass cheeks apart. I don't know, but it strikes me as kind of odd, and I can see how parents would not want their kids to see a picture like this. I'm not talking about an 18-year-old kid or a 16, and and it's up to them because they're kids, but nobody in their right mind thinks it's okay for a 10-year-old to see this picture. It's just bizarre. Other scenes, illustrations. Sex is a funny word. This uh, this has all sorts of examples. That book I mentioned earlier talks about masturbation. It's when we touch ourselves, usually in our middle parts, to get that warm and tingly feeling. Why is a librarian giving a kid a book about things that give you warm and tingly feelings? This is where the allegations, where the the language starts to shift. Giving instruction to kids, not under the instruction in a book, you know, uh, through a librarian, not through a doctor in a course. It just seems out there and something that you can see why parents would get upset about because there's something in this country called the criminal code that regulates depictions of children underage in certain certain situations and uh, all these different, you know, you read the sections and then you see again, I mentioned Erica Moan earlier, let's talk about it with the graphic drawings of here's how you touch this body part and that body part to get a certain desired result and experience. Try slipping a finger or two inside. Is this something? A third party? meaning a school librarian or even school trustees, which lawyers, which lawyers for any school division in Winnipeg actually signed a letter saying, yeah, this doesn't violate the criminal code. This is perfectly okay. Then there's pictures on different ways of, and pardon my friends, because we don't usually talk like this on the program, but there's shows different illustrations with various use of hands and motions of how to whack off. Let's Talk About It by Erica Moan and Matthew Nolan. Very famous book, apparently. You have tax dollars funding the distribution of materials that counsel minors to engage in sexual touching. Now, when it's under the coaching of a doctor in a healthcare setting, as in a health class, that's one thing. This is just like a book kids can pick up off the shelves. The direction of teachers and librarians. And the concern is that these materials present an ideal source for grooming behaviors. That there are those who will take advantage of kids by their minds having been opened up to all these concepts about, oh, what happens when I take my clothes off and I pose this way and I twist my body that way and I put a hand here and I put a hand on somebody else there. Kids that otherwise kids may not have thought about. And even if it was for the reason of my mother or father will kill me, that is still the business of those other parents. As opposed to it being kept a secret from those parents. 
One of these books, in fact, let's talk about it. They know that they are handling dynamite. The authors and publisher, quote from the book, expressly disclaim responsibility for any adverse effects that may result from the use or application of the information contained in this book. Amazing. And so in the course of this, certain concepts are promoted towards children. Queerness, every letter of the alphabet, all the variations. This does not jibe well with people from traditional backgrounds. It doesn't even jibe well with people from traditional liberal backgrounds in many cases. Because the buck stops with the parent. If something goes wrong with the kid, the parent is held criminally liable. And yet here, you have situations where the parents are not to be trusted with their own children. Preemptively, when it comes to what those parents see as indoctrination on matters of gender and sex and sexual practices, and with whom? And they point to criminal code provisions about pornography and other such things. And the pro-trans parents are saying, this is anti-trans rights. It's anti-break the privacy of trans kids. Who gave kids these kinds of human rights over their behavior and sexuality before the age of of like 15 or 16? I remember when I was a kid, you'd have 15-year-olds that would be able to move out and get, was the term emancipated? Uh, but they, they, you know, CFS would be able to put them on a program. And that's kids that came from just really awful, violent, dysfunctional backgrounds. And, and on rare occasions, a kid who was really advanced in school and had a certain kind of intellectual capacity, it was easier to put the kid at the age of 16 on their own and then they'd complete high school with honors. And, you know, those are this very small minority of cases. Generally speaking, kids are kids. And generally speaking, up till this generation, kids were left to be kids. Instead, with no look at what the long-term psychological harms or, or ramifications are of exposing kids at young ages to this material, you have a contingent in society that's claiming that it's hateful to question it, that it's wrong to dispute it, that it's immoral to want parents to be able to raise their children and have all the information they need to be able to do so effectively and protect their children from potential harm. What about the safety of our children? So one pamphlet asks, what are the risks associated with 12-year-olds following these, this adv- of advice? And in this case, it's an illustration from one of these books, Great Places to Research Fantasies and Kink Safely on the Internet. Advising 12-year-olds to go find kink on the Internet? What are the risks associated with it? Recommending communities who enjoy... Adult activities, kinks, porn, sexy adventures. I'm no prude. But I see that there's reasons for concern. And the battleground is forming between two kinds of parents. Those who think that you're some sort of Nazi for thinking there's something wrong with some of this stuff. Illustrations of people's mouths on people's genitalias. People telling uh, the recounting of stories of who gave their first you-know-what to who and under what circumstance and, and at what age and with what kind of influence or, 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 you know, I don't want to say necessarily bribe, but the one thing led to another. And then it's like, you know, it's like, it's like penthouse letters for kids. These are in books. 
in school libraries. Tories have come out in favor of parental rights. They put Obicon at the forefront. And next Wednesday on the 20th, there's going to be a march across communities, Winnipeg and other communities in southern Manitoba. And it's going to galvanize both sides of this equation. But I say ahead of time, this is already something that has become an election issue. It's, a, it's a, an issue at the ballot box, parental rights. And the Angus Reid and other polling showing that people that are in favor of parents being given the information that they need to raise their children, that this runs 70 to 80% in favor. It's for the NDP and the Liberals who've assailed this uh, out of the box, which was just a ridiculous move for a party looking to try to gain some traction in some writings. Uh, but Wab Canoe, of course, immediately said, this is anti-LGBTQ and we stand with it. No, this is about parents having the right to raise their children. And there's some material that should not be shown to children. And librarians make that choice all the time. What we're seeing now is in Ontario, they made the choice that the Diary of Anne Frank wasn't suitable for children. Harry Potter, not suitable for children. But material like this is suitable for children. And trusting teachers is right up there with trusting doctors and trusting lawyers right now. And so you're going to, I'm sure, see candidates continue to refer to this and you're going to continue to see voters make decisions about where they're going to cast their ballot. And one of the issues is going to be which party thinks kids have a right to privacy so that parents can't find out what kind of sexualized material they're accessing at their school. I don't think that's going to go very far at the ballot box for any political party that endorses the concept that kids need to have a right to privacy because the parents might, many, harm their children or refuse to access, because that's a lie. Be interested, of course, in what you think, your opinions, your experiences with the school systems with these kinds of issues. And uh, the mailbox is open, martygoldlive at gmail.com. Your support integral to this program. Again, contact me through that uh, address. Please uh, take a, a look at my work over at winnipegtribune.ca, various commentaries on the election. Uh, more podcasts coming up. Um, coming up very soon, part three of our interview with Andrew Marquez of Gem Equities. Beyond... The $5 million at the from the court case that's now under appeal beyond the impending, as I speak, um, uh, hearing about the value of, of the uh, expropriated lands. It's going to cost Winnipeggers an arm and a leg. The bigger picture, how does the way City Hall do business and treat a guy like Marques, somebody investing millions into trying to build a community, how does it affect the reputation of our city? We're going to be getting into that. There's so much crime, I know, dead bodies all over the place. I'm going to be getting to that. More candidate interviews uh, uh, coming up, already already in the can, waiting to be produced. And uh, going to be try to do an interview about mining in Manitoba, because I think that's an election issue as well, because it speaks to economics and uh, development in northern communities and prosperity. And you can check out all the interview. The interviews we've done, political candidates, and all the other stories we've done across the city, trying to do our best to maintain the traditions uh, that uh, we've uh, upheld for so many years, whether it's been on KKFM, on Shaw TV, or here now, ActionLine.ca, the great Canadian talk show podcast, because we always believe that ultimately, when it comes to what's going on in your city, in your town, in your community, in your province, you have the power. When you support The Great Canadian Talk Show, your donation makes sure that the investigations, the interviews, the fact-finding, the truth-telling can carry on. 
When you sponsor The Great Canadian Talk Show, you're telling the community that you think their stories matter. Our public affairs coverage continues to make a difference, challenging the slanted media narratives and giving a voice to the community. When you provide funding for The Great Canadian Talk Show, you're supporting old-fashioned investigative reporting that matters. Support TGCTS today. Thanks for listening to The Great Canadian Talk Show. If you want to email Marty, send it to tgcts1 at gmail.com. Or follow him on Twitter at tgcts. Uh